at uh, Matthew chapter 5. Next week we'll take a break uh, on uh, the 26th uh, to look at uh, John 3.16, but and then we'll pick back up uh, with Matthew 5.27 uh, uh, in the new year. We're starting a part of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is going to begin several sections with saying, you have heard it said, but I say to you. So in other words, uh, he is going to challenge the common uh, thoughts of the day. And so we need to you know, get ready for this because just as uh, the first century population that Jesus is talking to had certain uh, presuppositions about the way things were that were wrong, we need to be prepared to have our presuppositions challenged uh, as well. And so he's going to do that for us over the next uh, the next several weeks. So uh, in light of that, before I read Matthew 5, 21 to 26, let me pray, and then we'll uh, jump into the text. Lord, we read here in uh, this text in Matthew 5 of your heart and concern for reconciliation, for peacemaking, and we confess to you that we're not very interested in that. Um, and so I pray that you would help us today to, uh, uh, to see your heart and to hear your concern uh, for our souls, uh, for our world, uh, and for the peace that you uh, lived, died, and rose again to bring to us. Would you do that in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Amen. So Matthew 5, 21 to 26, uh, the text is uh, in the bulletin and also up on uh, the screens behind me. This is God's Word. You should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. So um, the, earlier this morning, before the 9 o'clock service, we had a crisis we have crises regularly, but we were having a software crisis so that it, wasn't, it was unclear whether our um, software was going to work or not. In fact, it actually, it wasn't working. And then the guys back there who are outstanding in every way, who are volunteers and have a terrible job, <laughs> I would never do that job. I've been back there with them before when the sound's not exactly right or the screen's not exactly right, and I get to see everybody turn around and look at them. Like, like they don't know that it's messed up. <laughs> Trust me, they're, they're frantically trying to do whatever they can to, to get it fixed. So you're turning around and looking at them is, is helping them a lot, you know? Uh, my, you know, I would used to, when I was learning how to fix things, you know, my dad was like this over me when I was doing it. And I'm like, that's so helpful, dad. Thanks. So uh, just, just, just keep, keep that in mind. But anyway, the, I guess it was a logo. I don't know what it was that we could get up on the screen. It was a picture of a window with some light shining through it. 
And I thought, you know, I'm sitting here, I'm thinking, that's all I'm going to get for the nine o'clock service. So I'm not going to get my notes up there or anything else. So I need to use that. So what I want you to hear today as we look at this text, and I want you to get lost in the weeds of, of personal relationships and difficulties and that kind of stuff. I want you to see through that to this one thing. Jesus Christ thinks that you being reconciled to others is so important. And it's not just important because it's a nice thing. It is important for the health and safety of your soul. Okay? So important to him, not only does he speak to us about reconciliation, he actually accomplishes it on our behalf by dying on the cross. So I want you to hear that right off the bat before we get into this text, because this text is admittedly a little bit complicated, and it's a little difficult, and, and whenever we read things about if somebody's got something against you, or you've called somebody a moron this week, or whatever, whatever your, your thing is, here's the thing, we're all guilty of violating what Jesus is saying here. I'm confident of that. Uh, maybe you didn't call somebody an idiot this week, but you thought it. Maybe you um, uh, didn't insult anybody this week, but it was in your heart. And maybe, just maybe, you're beginning to think here, as the text tells us, that you were curt, snappish, dismissive to someone else. So, when, in light of that introduction, let's jump in here and, and see what it is uh, that, that, uh, uh, that Jesus is getting at, right? So the overarching theme of this passage is that reconciliation is the utmost importance. In fact, Jesus says, look, if you remember that somebody has something against you as you're coming to worship, stop what you're doing and go attempt reconciliation with your brother before uh, you offer uh, your offering, right? You cannot be right with God if you're unwilling to come to terms with others. Now, as, I, as we'll see as we get into this, this doesn't mean that you live at perfect peace with everybody all the time. We'll get to that. But what it does mean is if your heart is closed off to the possibility that because Jesus Christ made you uh, his friend, when you were his enemy, that he died to reconcile you to him, and that he's given you everything you need to pursue reconciliation with others, but you've closed yourself off to that, you need to hear the warnings of this text. Jesus is very concerned about the state of your soul. He's very concerned about the, the state of your destiny, really, if, if that's the way uh, we uh, go about living our lives. So what, what he's doing here is just expanding on what he's already said earlier in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Next slide. Uh, and so what, what you have to see about that is, is Jesus is introducing to his followers uh, the reality of what his cross is going to bring to bear in our lives, right? Now, Jesus is speaking in a social and cultural context, just like anybody else lives in a social and cultural context. And so, as I said earlier, we're going to look at, he's going to say this a bunch. You've heard it said, but I say to you. He's going to address 
the kind of religious, moral, ethical, cultural uh, way that people understood, particularly here, the law of God and how they applied that. And so he's going to, in this case, he's going to go at the sixth commandment. The sixth commandment is thou shalt not murder. And he's going to speak to us about what God's intention was about that commandment. Now, the common thought, uh, because people were so concerned about uh, uh, protecting their rights and that sort of thing, that the the commandment not to murder, the, the rabbis taught, as long as you didn't actually, you know, stick the knife in somebody or actually do something like that to somebody, you were fine. You were fine. That, you, you know, there was no concern for attitude, no concern for words, no concern for anything else. Just so long as you're not actually going out and killing people wantonly, you're fine. You've kept the commandment. And what Jesus is going to do is he's going to say, you know, the that's while true, no doubt that's true. What he wants to say is, but what I want you to understand is, is God's intention and, and the fact that the gospel and the very revelation of who God is to us is not just about changing your outward behavior, keeping you from killing one another, as important as that is, that what he is trying to get at is your heart, your motivation, your thoughts. He's trying to get at what it is that goes on inside of us. And so God's intention there in this commandment is not just uh, to keep us from killing one another, but to keep us uh, at peace with one another, that that is uh, the the ultimate uh, goal, right? So um, here's, and here's the examples that he uses, right? Uh, He says that if you go about pridefully in your contempt and in your anger, you insult other people, even in, in your heart, your mind, or out loud, you are putting your soul in jeopardy. That's what he means here when, uh, when he says you'll be liable to the fire of hell, the hell of fire. In other words, somebody who is consistently that closed off from reconciliation really needs to ask the question, is, is the Spirit of God alive in me at all? Is the work of God in me at all? Has the fact that Jesus died for me, that the Son of God spilt his blood to reconcile me to God, has that made any difference at all to me? Right? Now, here's, here's the thing uh, that, that, that we have to, to see here is, is that we tend, uh, since the very fall in the garden, to be quick to hold one another up in contempt, and we're quick often uh, to allow our anger uh, to go beyond what might have started as righteous anger against the, uh, the sin that someone else committed, and moves very quickly then uh, into um, murderous intention. When you call somebody a fool, when you call somebody a moron, when you call somebody an idiot, simply because they've made you angry, simply because you're dismissive of them, and simply because it is a way to to get at them, even if you're just doing it internally and dismissing them that way, you're not loving them, certainly. And we're acting as if the reconciliation that Jesus died to bring to bear uh, is weak, has no power, or no ability to change anything about us. 
Now, perhaps you're thinking, well, I don't say those things about people, although the, the anonymity, supposed an anonymity and the distance that social media gives us allows us to say things and to write things that I wonder if we really would say to one another's faces. The fact that we're closed up in cars on the road when we interact with one another keeps us from... Um, or allows us to say things or uh, to think things that if we were up close and personal with people, we probably wouldn't, right? And here's the thing about this. I think for most of us, we are interested in, we would love to be at peace with most people, um, but it is such a challenging thing when the people around us are sinners, if they just weren't sinners, we'd be just fine, right? Yeah. So as, as we look at this, we have to get at then how are we supposed to address this? And why is it that Jesus is placing such a, a high uh, priority upon this? Well, one of the things that you have to see about this is, is that Jesus is getting at the reality of what drives our anger and our disappointment and our bitterness towards other people. Because, believe it or not, later on in Jesus' ministry, he's going to tell some people they're fools. Did you know that? Yeah. He says this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! which that's a pretty strong word, hypocrite. Uh, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. That's strong language. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing, but if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? What he's getting at here is the way people did business with one another. So there was a common tradition was that you could say, I swear by the, by the temple. Well, that's like saying, you know, not really. But if you... And so they would trick people because there were some, uh, some rabbis that said, oh, you know, what's greater than the temple is the gold that's in the temple. So, so as long, if, if you don't swear, in other words, they're, they're playing games, right? If you swear that something's true, you don't need to say I'm swearing on the temple or I'm swearing on my wingtips or I'm swearing on whatever, right? It just simply is just tell the truth. But they're playing games with that. And that's why he is saying to them that they are, uh, they're acting as fools, right? And if you say anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred. Uh, and so this, we don't need to go into to, to more about that. But what, we, what you see about that is Jesus is getting at the fact that they're acting in a foolish way, they're behaving in a way that is not only detrimental to themselves, but detrimental to the people who are following them, and his heart for them in saying that is not dismissive. He's not dismissing the scribes and the Pharisees. He's saying, repent. He's saying, turn back from the way you're doing this. Change. This is foolish, right? This is this is not the way to live. This is not the way to teach. This is not God's intention. 
And so that's what he's getting at. That's, that's way different from saying, that guy's an idiot. And just dismiss it and just leave it at that. Because you're essentially saying, that guy's an idiot, he, he might as well be dead. Because I dismiss him because he's such an idiot and a moron that he might as well be dead, right? So do you see the connection there to murder? That's exactly what he's getting at. Next slide, uh, Scott, thanks. Now, here's the thing that makes this, this text so interesting. So Jesus says, listen, you need to be very careful about your words. You need to be about reconciling with one another. You need to be about putting, putting aside enmity. And then in verse 22, or 21 and 22, he's focused on that. But then he begins to make a shift. Because what we expect him to say is, whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember that you have something against your brother. That's what you think he's going to say, right? But he doesn't say that. He says something crazy. He says that if you're at worship, and you remember that somebody has something against you, drop what you're doing and go make that right. Now that gets complicated. Right? That's hard. <laughs> so how, 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 do, how do we think about that? Well, in verses 21 and 22, he's focused on the contempt we may feel for a brother and how we may despise him with anger or words like fool or rocket. Those are the words that use imbecile, dolt. I like dolt better than moron. Um, but when he makes the transition to how this relates to worship and giving, he shifts the focus slightly away from our subjective feelings of anger or contempt or despising onto the relationship that has been wrecked by our contempt or even our own insensitivity or blundering. Next slide. Now, this is the thing that, that is, is, is so interesting to me about this. Jesus' heart is so turned towards reconciliation, towards our sensitivity to the brokenness of our relationships, that he recognizes that when you come to worship, when you consider the grace of God to you, when you consider that Jesus died to make you his friend, it might occur to you that, you know what? I was short with that person. Or you know what? I was insensitive to them. Or you know what? I, I probably could have done a better job in the way I listened. <laughs> listened? What's that? Right? Uh, do, you, do you remember a conversation this week that you had with someone and maybe it became difficult? And in the midst of that conversation, while the other person was talking, you were thinking of your response. Of course not. No one does that, right? He's saying that we need to be sensitive to those things and that for the peace and the purity of his people, he wants us to be quick when those things come to mind to go to one another and to say, uh, I feel like I might have been insensitive to you. Please forgive me, right? I feel like I might have been short with you. I feel like I might not have been as kind as I could have been, right? I learned so much about this when I got married. And the, and the thing that I learned about it was, uh, you know, my mom, God bless her, you know, she was in a house with three men. And I don't ever remember, I, I do remember my dad saying, you know, don't talk to your mother like that. He only had to say it once. But I do, I do remember that. 
But my mom never said to me, I don't like your tone. But Marty said that to me on our honeymoon. <laughs> and I'm like, what are you talking about? Your tone, the way you said that. I'm like, the way I said what? It doesn't matter what you said, it's the way you said it. And I'm like, oh, this is so hard. <laughs> this is so challenging. I, I got to think about tone now. It's hard for me to come up with the words. And now I got to come up with the tone? What's a tone? Anyway, so, so, so the fact is, that was a great thing for me because God used that to make me not tone deaf, but to help me hear the music of peace, of reconciliation, of what that means, right? And so it's important for us, Jesus understands that when you come to worship, that perhaps what's going to happen is you're going to think, you know what, I should, have, I should do something about this. I remember years ago, when, uh, back when we were at Bird Middle School, it was, I think it was our very first communion service that we had on a Sunday night. We used to do them once a month, and we were in the band room, uh, at, not the band room, we were in the chorus room at, uh, at uh, well, Cuyacuson Middle, um, and it just came to me while I'm down there getting ready to do the communion, that as people, we, back then we passed it out among folks, that you were to take the elements of communion, turn to the person next to you, speak words of the gospel to them as they took the elements of the communion. Jesus loves you, he's for you, that, that sort of stuff. And I discovered when I did that, that there were a number of couples who were in the room who had been fighting like cats and dogs on the way to church. That never happens, but the, it, it, it happened this time, and they had to come to grips with, I need to be reconciled with you as they're holding the very means of God's reconciliation of us with, his, with, uh, with him, the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. And so, as, as you see that, 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 that's what he wants to be true of us. Now, let me give you a caveat about this, right? Jesus is not saying that any time you remember that anyone has something against you, stop worshiping. Why? Well, as we'll see here, right, Jesus had said earlier in the, in the, um, uh, in the, in the Beatitudes, blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men cast insults at you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Next slide, please, Scott. So uh, what, what you have to understand about that is there are going to be times and there are going to be places where people are going to have things against us, and there's not anything uh, that we really can do about it. We have done everything we can to be at peace. We've done everything we can to reconcile the, the relationship, but there are going to be times and places where people are going to be uh, angry, people are going to be uh, against us, maybe because of an issue of truth. Maybe because of an issue of sin. 
And so, so we, we can't be put in the situation, because th- think about it this way. Um, uh, well, let me put it this way. We're responsible for what others hold against us when it is owing to real sin or blundering on our part. And I, and I, wanna, I, I said that word blundering because, because I, think, I think for many of us, we don't go out of our way to sin against people, but we just do. You know, we just, we just make blunders. We just blurt things out. We just interrupt. We, we just are dismissive uh, in ways that we're not purposefully going out of our way to offend, but it, it, it happens to us, doesn't it, right? However, let's remember that if Jesus had to be at peace with everyone, then he would have never been able to worship because there are people trying to trip him up. There are people trying to kill him. There are people talking bad about him. There are people that are mad at him, really mad at him, really, really mad at him, mad enough at him to kill him. But he was gentle. He was a truth teller. And so so what we have to see here is that that there are going to be those kinds of situations that become uh, uh, more more difficult uh, for us. One day... A rich boy walked into his dad's office and said, I hate you. I wish you were dead. And I'm not going to wait around for you to die to get what's coming to me. So give me my share of whatever your estate would be now, and I'm out of here. The father was heartbroken, and he gave to his son, that which he asked. And so the son took it and went away and lived like a crazy man. Don't know how long, but for a while, until it was all gone. And he was starving. And so he knew a little bit about agriculture, and so he goes and he helps a resident of a, uh, this country take care of his pigs. And the real reason why he wanted to take care of the pigs was not because it paid so well, but there was food involved, the pig's food. And he ate it. After a while, he began to think, you know, this is, this is not smart. I'm going to go home. And as he went home, His father, who was heartbroken, who desired to be reconciled to his son, saw him at a distance and ran to him and hugged him and kissed him, gave him the family signet ring, killed the fatted calf, and threw a party. Now, there was an older brother who worked hard, who, like most, you know, the Bible understands birth order, you know, firstborn, straight A's, get it done, right? Can't love mom and dad's approval. He is coming home from work, a hard day's work. He's dog tired, and he hears the party, and he asks one of the servants, what is going on? Your brother has returned from the dead, and your father threw a party. He's killed the fatted calf. How dare he? How dare he? 
So the father goes to his son whom he loves. And he says, look, whatever I have is yours. But I love your brother. He was gone and now he's back. We had to do this. And the story ends. The story ends. As far as it depended upon the father, he worked to be reconciled to his sons. But the older boy, is he reconciled to his father? Doesn't seem like it, does it? And so what happens to us is that we're responsible to pursue reconciliation, but live with the pain if it does not succeed. In other words, we're not the only party responsible to make reconciliation happen. We need to do everything that, that belongs to us to do that, recognizing that there will be times and places where people will not reconcile. Next slide. Paul says in Romans 12, 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. And what that means is, so far as it depends on you, right, if possible, that means everything that you can possibly do to be reconciled to the person uh, with whom you have a broken relationship, do it. Do it. Recognizing the fact that you may, you may uh, be left uh, with a situation where you have your heart broken because of their uh, response to your drive to be reconciled, right? So Jesus took every step required of a human being to make matters right with his enemies. And still they had things against him and were not reconciled to him. Even on his cross, he prayed that his father would forgive them for, because his enemies didn't know what they were doing. So here's the thing. There will be pain and sadness as well as joy of restored relationship. Jesus knows that about us, and he knows that about the brokenness of the world, and he knows that about the brokenness of our relationships. But his heart for us is to say, look, I've died. You belong to me. You have my righteousness. I love you. You are reconciled to, to, to my Father by virtue of my blood. And because of that, you have everything you need to move out in, in love and in vulnerability to love your enemies and to seek reconciliation and to seek peace. One of the things that I have learned from having a soldier in my family, there was a time, I don't know, uh, in the history of this church and some other churches where people like to talk about warrior mentality a lot. And there's certainly uh, allusions in the scriptures to our war against uh, the principalities and powers and the war against sin. But we need to be careful when we think about that, that we're not in a war with each other. Because anyone who's ever been to war uh, doesn't ever want to do it again. And so I think as we think about that today, you know, let's, uh, let's, and as we come to the Lord's table, let's see God's priority for peace and reconciliation as demonstrated to us in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, give us confidence today that we can be reconcilers. 
On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus. They did as he had directed them and prepared the Passover. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Let's uh, use this confession of sin uh, that's pr pr uh, printed in the bulletin, also up on the screens behind me. Pray with me. Lord God, every day we are reminded that we fall short of your glory. You are strong. We are blown about by every whim. You call for justice. We play favorites and prefer man-made comfort. You are holy through and through. Our best efforts are marred by sin and cannot save us. Oh, how we need a Savior to ransom us from bondage to sin. Thank you for providing exactly what we need in Jesus. Oh, how we need continual renewal in your image. Thank you for sending the Holy Spirit to continue your work in your church. Forgive us our sins and lead us to rest in your grace. Amen. Believers hear these words of encouragement. Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him.